Well, this is our third, third sermon on this passage in Luke, the institution of the Lord's Supper as we see it in Luke's Gospel. So, to unpack this passage is to see something of the depths hidden in and under the outward simplicity of that table. It's a deceptively simple affair, that table. It seems relatively straightforward, and yet the church has been unable to plumb its mystery. We've already seen from this very passage that the meal is the feast of the eschatological kingdom. All of its glory, like all of the glory of Christian existence, is the glory of heaven. It is the glory of the age to come, breaking into this age. What else could it be? That's what Jesus is. Last week, we saw that that Eucharist right, is the place of gratitude. The word Eucharist means thanksgiving. It's the place of gratitude because here, the gospel, the gospel made liquid, the gospel made edible, right, the tactile gospel is made personal. This is my body which is given for you. And today, from the same passage, we'll look at the Eucharist as the Feast of the New Covenant. Feast of the New Covenant. We'll make two points. They're there on your outline in the bulletin. Remembrance and the New Covenant. Remembrance and the New Covenant. So first then, remembrance... Jesus takes bread, he gives thanks, Eucharist, he breaks it, he gives it, and he says, this is my body which is given for you. And then he says, do this in remembrance of me. So I want to unpack this remembrance. So first, a brief translation issue. The text does not say, do this as my memorial, meaning it's Jesus' memorial or God's memorial. The sacrament is not so God can remember. The language is clear. The sacrament is given to us. It comes from God to us so that we would remember. And all translations render this, do this in remembrance of me. And notice it's a command. Right? It's, imp- it's an imperative. Do this. We do not have to understand all that is happening here. No one ever has, and no one ever will do that. But we are called, first of all, to do. So it's an imperative. But, but what I want you to see is this is not just any imperative. Remember, we've said texts, texts need to be weighed not counted. Right? Texts need to be weighed, not counted. Well, this is a weighty command. Because this is the command that Jesus leaves us on the night he was betrayed in the shadow of the cross. Right? This is the command which signifies and seals the fulfillment of the Passover and indeed the whole Old Testament priestly and sacrificial system. This is the command, or the ritual, or the liturgy, 
into which the whole life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus are condensed. Given to the church until the Lord comes in glory. The sacrament is dense with radiance. This is the command which has as its goal to keep alive in the memory of the church her Lord and his work. After all, the command is not just do, but do in a certain manner. Do in remembrance of me. And to that memory, right, that remembrance, we now turn. So, remembering is a covenantal word in the Bible. It's not when God remembers, right, it's not like he forgot or something slipped his mind. When God says he remembered Abraham or he remembered Noah, it means he acts in terms of his covenant with respect to them. And this is why remembering here at the supper is connected with the language of the new covenant in verse 20. So when God remembers, he acts in terms of the covenant. He makes the reality of the covenant present for the sake of his people. Now, I said God is not the one remembering here. We are remembering. We're remembering here. We remember liturgically when we come to the prayer of thanksgiving. When we come, we do the sursum corda, lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. There's a prayer of thanksgiving there. Goes back to the ancient church, that idea that right there, there's a prayer of Eucharist because you're coming to the Eucharist. And that prayer of thanksgiving remembers God, the creator, and his mighty acts. Right? Often there's references in that prayer to the exodus, to God's faithfulness, to the fulfillment of all of his promises in Jesus Christ. We remember in the prayer of thanksgiving, which culminates there. But, and this is key. I think especially for moderns, because we're not Hebrews, <laughs> at least most of us aren't, and, and moderns don't really grasp this intuitively. Remembering is not merely recalling God's work in the past. It's, remembering is not mere recollection here. It is recollection, but it's not mere recollection. It's not only recollection. As our act, as a human action, remembering is the action by which the past is recalled, but the past is then made present. The past is remembered in such a way that you grasp present and future benefits. So let me, let me repeat that, right? Remembering is a covenantal activity whereby the past is recalled for present and future Benefits. Somebody knew I was going to be preaching on this text, and they texted me the other day, and they said, um, they said, Jesus gets the past, present, and future basically in one sentence. Do this now, in remembrance of me, then past, until I come again, then future. I said, that's great. You don't have to come to the sermon tomorrow. Right? <laughs> This is an act which gathers up the present and the past and the future. It's not enough to come here and say, oh yeah, I remember Jesus died for my sins. We're We're doing that, but we're doing a lot more than that here. So what is being remembered here is, of course, our Lord's life and death. 
But this is set. Jesus sets this intentionally, by the way, in the Gospels. He's in complete control of this, this framing of what's going on here. He sets it in the context of the Passover meal. And thus, the deeper background is that of the Exodus and of the Passover. So I want to explore this just a little. When the Passover is instituted in the book of Exodus, Exodus 12, the Lord says this. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. All right, there you see. It's a memorial for us. This day is for you a memorial day. We do the remembering, as Israel was to do the remembering of the Exodus at the first Passover. And as you read the book of Exodus in the next chapter, we're told that every generation of Israelites is to remember as if they were actually present at the Exodus. Here's the next chapter. Here's Exodus 13. And when when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out from the house of slavery. Each generation of Israelites remember as if they were present. Because, and this is where it's so different than the American way of thinking, because in the corporate solidarity of Israel, they were present. They think of Israel as one corporate person spread across time. So the thing to get here is this. The past here is never merely past. Right? The past that is memorialized there is never merely past. Israel remembers what God did for them in the past. They are celebrating it and participating in it in the present And they are looking for the future exodus and the future deliverance promised in the prophets, namely the future restoration of all things. There is no facet or feature of Christian theology that cannot be preached or unpacked from that meal. And in the act of remembering, we do the same thing here. This is the greater exodus. The final Passover sacrifice. And if you are in Jesus Christ, then you and your sins, you and your judgment, you and your slavery and your bondage and your death are defeated there. This is the remembrance of your liberation, your exodus. You were present in Christ, united with him when he offered himself up as the Passover lamb. And so in remembering the past, The power of the cross becomes present here and now at the table. Right? In remembering the past, the power of the cross becomes present here and now at the table. It shows its power for our present cleansing and liberation. And here we as well yearn and long and hope for our and for the whole creation's liberation from bondage to death. So again, this is not mere recollection. To remember is to grasp the past for present and future benefit. By remembering, the power of Christ's cross is extended to the church's present distress and need. What does Paul say? When Paul comments on the supper, he says, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim 
You preach the Lord's death. The proclamation of the death of Christ is present there in the supper. Thus rooted in Israel's remembering of the Exodus and the Passover, this remembering gathers up past, present, and future. The reality then of Jesus' saving life and death is permanently set before the eyes of the church, etched into our hearts. All the benefits purchased by Christ, all the benefits of Calvary are freshly extended, generously offered to you here. But don't don't miss this. Here is a command given to us all. The mood is imperative, right? And it isn't merely do. It's do this in remembrance of me. So to obey the command, we must be able to remember. We must be able to recall. We must be able to reappropriate this self-offering of Christ. There's an ethical dimension to remembering. Like Israel's told to remember the Lord, remember the Lord, remember the Lord. And you know what it's contrasted with? Forgetting the Lord. And forgetting is disobedience. Remembering is an act of obedience. Thus, when you come here to remember, you are pledging obedience to the one who has so graciously redeemed you. Right? To partake of the supper without this remembrance is to gut the supper of its significance. So as you come to do, come remembering. All right, the second thing here is the new covenant itself. Reformed theology is covenant theology, and we are going to have to do some covenant theology here. So, buckle up. (laughs) Um, Over the cup, Jesus says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So to get some grasp of this, one has to know, okay, what's the covenant? Why is it new? What's the old one? What's the relationship between the old one and the new one? Well, lucky for you, we have 500 years of reflection on that. So this language that our Lord is using is rooted again in the Exodus. In Exodus 24, Moses confirms the Sinai covenant with Israel. And here's what it says, Exodus 24. Moses took the blood and threw it on the people. And said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. Jesus is referring directly to those words in Exodus 24. What Moses calls the blood of the covenant, Jesus holds up the cup and says, This is the blood of the new covenant. So here the Mosaic covenant is set aside. For Israel was unable to keep it. And the new covenant promised in Jeremiah 31, which we heard, we heard both of those texts read this morning. The new covenant is realized. It's communicated to us through the blood that is the death of Christ. We heard from Hebrews 8, which cites Jeremiah 31 and tells us just what the new covenant is. So think of it like this. Um, Jeremiah, 600 B.C. He prophesies that there will be a new covenant. That the covenant made with Israel through Moses will fail because of Israel's disobedience. Christ comes 
He fulfills the new covenant. He takes the cup and says, this is the blood of the new covenant. And then the apostles in the book of Hebrews, the apostolic writings, tell us, yes, the new, this, in Christ, the covenant promised by Jeremiah is fulfilled. So here's what, here's what Hebrews 8 says. And it's citing Jeremiah 31. For if that first covenant, well, what's the first covenant? It's the Mosaic covenant. If it had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. What's wrong with the first covenant? What's wrong with the Mosaic covenant? Well, he tells us, for he finds fault with them, with the people. When he says this, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like, notice that, the new covenant and the Mosaic covenant are not alike in certain important respects. The new covenant is not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Because they did not continue in my covenant. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. And here you get it. This is the substance, the essence, the inner mystery of the new covenant. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people, for I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. The new covenant takes the law which Israel could not keep. And internalizes it so that you do it instinctively by the Spirit. It writes it on your heart. And the new covenant brings in the full and final pardon of all your sins. They are remembered no more. God does not act in terms of them toward us. And so we live, you live in the new covenant. Where the promises made to Abraham have been fulfilled. Where the curse of the Mosaic law has been born for you where your sins have been forgiven, and where God is writing his law onto your hearts. That's a very, very quick and dirty summary of what's happening here in Hebrews 8. There's a lot more that could be said. I'll say just a couple things more on this. All of this is ours through the death of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is saying at the supper. Another another way to summarize what Jesus is saying is this. The whole history of Israel is condensed into my death and resurrection. That's another way of putting it. This is the new covenant in my blood means I am renewing, I am extending, I am communicating to you the forgiveness of sins and I am seeking to inscribe my law in the depth of your heart. The remission of sins and the renewal of our hearts, they go hand in hand. We literally here eat and drink the reality and the benefits of the new covenant itself. And the result of the new covenant, the goal of it, the end of it, the summary of it, if we had to get it down to to its nub, is this. I will be their God. They shall be my people. That's in the text as well. And that shows up, of course, in Revelation 21 at the end of the age. That's the goal. The supper is ordered to that feast. Remember, that was the first sermon. The supper is ordered to that feast because I will be your God and you shall be my people is consummated there. So, what an astonishing, full and complete gift this is. How could it be otherwise? Because it's the gift of Christ himself clothed with all of his benefits towards you. 
What other thing is there, by the way, in the Christian life that you can point to it and say, this is, not in part, but in whole, this is the new covenant. And that's what Jesus does here. Right? Through his minister, when he hands us the cup and says, this is the new covenant in my blood. All the realities of the new covenant are sealed and stamped and confirmed to your repentant, remembering faith in the meal. And this means, and we'll see this more in the future in this series, Lord willing, this means that we are publicly assuming Right, we are taking on, we are publicly embracing the obligations of the covenant entailed in our baptism when we come here. Now, if you've been around Westminster for any length of time, right, you know that we believe here that worship is not like, um, you know, it's not like a potpourri of a couple of songs and you know, a prayer, a little sermon. And we believe that worship has order and structure to it, that it has a logic. And we, we, we refer to that logic as covenant renewal. Right? That is what we're doing with the order and the logic of our service. There's a whole track on it called the, the Lord's Service out in the narthex. We might be out of them. But if you haven't read that, you should read it. Lord, it will help you, I think, and encourage you as to what we're about here. But we think of worship as renewing our covenant, the new covenant that we're in with God. God relates to creatures, our confession says, by way of covenant. It is how God relates to us. And he relates to redeemed creatures by way of the new covenant. The new covenant established in Christ. And thus you are in the new covenant. That's the form. The new covenant is the form or the structure of God's relationship to you. And that new covenant then gets administered or communicated to us By the means of the gospel, the word, and the sacraments. What you get in the gospel is then sealed to your faith visibly at the table. For the table is the rite, as we just saw, of covenant renewal. So there's a deep kind of theologic to all of this. Public worship is covenant renewal because public worship culminates in the word being sealed there. And that is an act of covenant renewal. That is precisely what Jesus is doing there. So let me summarize. I know there's a lot here. If you have questions, I will be teaching the Sunday school class in here afterwards. We could unpack some of this more. But first, what we're remembering is the past establishment of the covenant. In the new exodus, the Passover sacrifice of Christ. That's what we're doing. Secondly... We are remembering the current renewal of the covenant as we apply Christ's blood to our own sins at the table. And we remember, third, the future. The future consummation of the covenant. As I've said many times, the supper has rightfully been called the memory of the future. That future will be a time when remembrance becomes vision, becomes sight becomes the fully present reality of the one who is the substance of the covenant, namely Christ himself and his glory. Right? At that time, all the sifting and discernment and self-judgment that goes with the table will be ended. All God's people will be there, forgiven with the law in their hearts. 
at that time will be fulfilled what the prophet says. We heard this also in Jeremiah. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Right? What we have called to this point the feast of the coming kingdom is also the feast of the new covenant. For the kingdom comes by way of covenant. Right? The kingdom comes by way of covenant. That would be a good summary of the whole Bible. Right? The kingdom comes by way of covenant. And so now, in this age, here, we are judged, we are cleansed, we are renewed in a holy, obedient remembering of Christ in this feast of the new covenant. And we are in that mode until with him we eat it again when it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Amen.